It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's become one of the largest protests the world has ever seen. For more than two months now, hundreds of thousands of Indian farmers have been camping on the streets of Delhi, weathering a freezing winter to protest against the government. And last week, that protest reached a boiling point. There were some extraordinary scenes on television of protesters swerving at speed in tractors towards police lines. And they'd reached Delhi's Red Fort, one of the most iconic sites in all of India, scaled the ramparts, raised the religious flag there, and then fighting broke out. The clashes came after months of stalemate. Millions of Indian farmers are calling for the repeal of a raft of new agricultural laws, which the government believes will modernise farming. Many Indian farmers are already struggling and have been for years. They fear that this would leave them at the mercy of major corporations who would move in and it could outmuscle them in the market. With the capital choked by protests and the country divided, how will the Modi government deal with its greatest challenge yet? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, India, the farmers versus the government. The protests have been expected. In fact, the farmers had planned a tractor rally for India's Republic Day. Stars of the show were these, these bizarre sort of parades of sort of ballistic missiles and acrobats balanced on motorbikes. Hugh Tomlinson is the Times South Asia correspondent. He's been based in Delhi since 2015, and he's covered a number of protests in his time. But he's never seen anything like the scenes that unfolded in the capital on India's Republic Day last Tuesday. The farmers had planned their own protest and had been granted permission for a tractor rally on the edge of the city. But the protest soon spiralled out of control. Protesters broke away from the sanctioned protest route and made a dash for the city. Again, from several sides, as I say, breaching police lines. Both sides appeared to lose control. From several points on the edge of the city, thousands of protesters poured through the breach. Tractors brought in to plough through police barricades, concrete barricades, shove aside buses that had been placed in their path. 
Police fired tear gas and uh, water cannon. There were baton charges to try and hold them back, but uh, there were simply too many people. The protesters responded with uh, baton charges of their own in certain points as the, the scene turned violent. Over the course of the afternoon, you began to see sort of running battles on the streets of the capital as police fell back and the, and the protesters broke through. There were some extraordinary scenes on television of protesters swerving at speed in tractors towards police lines to drive them back. And then by the mid-afternoon, they'd reached Delhi's Red Fort, one of the most iconic sites in all of India, scaled the ramparts. Dozens of farmers on the ramparts, they sort of raised the religious flag there. And then fighting broke out sort of around in the, at the base of the fort. And this was just, this was sort of a very short distance from the spot in central Delhi where the Prime Minister Narendra Modi had been laying a wreath at the tomb of the fallen soldiers earlier in the day and where the Republic Day celebrations had been going on that morning. Tell me, how much is it affecting the capital? The farmers marched on Delhi from several surrounding states to the north and east in November and set up several huge camps blocking off major highways into the city. Since then, those numbers have swelled tens of thousands of, of people uh, in these huge makeshift tented cities. Since the protests began two months ago, Hardev Singh has been crawling into his tractor truck at night in the cold Delhi winter with other family members. Although he has a job, the pandemic has made him insecure. In case I lose my job, at least I can farm my land. If I don't have that fallback, what will I do? I won't even have food to eat if I can't hold on to my land. Entire families who've traveled hundreds of miles to join these protests, many sleeping in the trucks pulled by tractor, thousands more are still arriving every day to reinforce them. And so these vast tented cities have uh, swelled up, um, have appeared at sort of major junctions on the edge of the capital. Some, in some cases, stretching, I mean, literally stretching as far as the eye can see, huge uh, soup kitchens have appeared to feed the protesters through the depths of winter when, you know, temperatures have dropped below freezing. Makeshift gymnasiums have appeared and so on. It's, it's been a remarkable scene. And each day, there are renewed rallies and gatherings just to boost the movement, and all condemning these three laws brought in by the government last year. So take us back a step. How on earth did all of this start? How has Delhi, the capital of India, ended up being choked with protests? This began in September when Sir Mr Modi's government pushed through three radical new farming laws through Parliament in the middle of a pandemic without consulting farmers. I mean, they represent the most sweeping changes proposed to Indian farming in decades. Protests broke out in breadbasket states around Delhi, Punjab, Haryana, Uttar Pradesh, almost immediately. Anger swelled through September, October as farming unions came together, and by late November, the protests escalated into a mass march on the capital. We begin in India, where tens of thousands of angry farmers have been camping outside the capital of New Delhi. They're protesting against the government's new agricultural laws, which they say could devastate crop prices and reduce their earnings. The farmers were blocked on the edge of Delhi by police, obviously under instructions not to allow them to reach the centre of the capital. There was fighting then, back in November and early December, clashes on the outskirts, police firing tear gas and water cannons to hold them back. And then this stalemate set in. The farmers set up these camps on the edges of the capital and vowed to stay there until their demands are met. So take us back to the law being introduced for a start. Why was it so controversial? Well, the laws cover a lot of ground, but essentially they aim to cut the government's role in 
Indian farming, deregulate, liberalize the market, attract private investment. Most farmers in India currently sell to government wholesalers at guaranteed minimum prices for a range of produce. Under the new laws, they would be free to sell to private buyers, online grocers, and so on. Um, the farmers fear that will strip away the subsidies and support that they believe are, are already insufficient. Many Indian farmers are already struggling and have been for years. They fear that this would leave them at the mercy of major corporations who would move in and it could outmuscle them in the market. And they also fear that this would pave the way for the minimum prices that they're currently guaranteed would also be lost in time. Farmers have a huge economic and symbolic importance in India. Uh, agriculture still employs around 60% of the country's almost 1.4 billion people. So that's, I mean, equivalent to about 650 to 700 million people still linked to the land or still employed in farming. So it's a staggering number of people and a massive constituency. Although the value of Indian farming has fallen steadily down the years, it's now just around 15% of GDP. They have an enormous symbolic value as well. I mean, Gandhi said that villages were the soul of India. And despite the steady march of industrialization, migration to the cities and so on, farmers are still seen as the bedrock of the nation, the heart and soul. There's an also an understanding pressure on impoverished rural communities has increased over the past year, of course. The pandemic has seen millions of laborers laid off in major cities, sending of millions of migrants back to their villages. Rising debts and bankruptcies over recent years have driven suicides among Indian farmers to epidemic levels. So the farmers have enormous public sympathy as well. There are a small minority of wealthy landowners and middlemen, but the majority of Indian farmers are desperately poor. About 70% own less than one hectare. Millions work as sort of as labourers or rent the land and are paid in cash or with a share of the harvest. One weak monsoon can wipe out an entire family business. Indians' incomes have been shrinking steadily. The government argues it already pays generous subsidies for sort of water, electricity. Farmers are exempt from income tax. But the system as a whole has looked increasingly unsustainable. There are subsidies on water, but many states have still need to be weaned off water-guzzling crops like wheat, rice, sugarcane. Modernising Indian farming would be an enormous and daunting challenge, which would take generations to achieve and would require some form of support to help the poorest farmers survive it. No government can get elected without farmers' votes. So the root and branch reform that's been needed in Indian farming has just been put off by successive governments, not just Modi. Governments have tinkered around the edges, made promises around election time that they are frequently accused of failing to keep, and major reforms and investment have been kicked down the line. The farmers and the protesters, what are they calling for? What changes do they want to see to this law? Farmer will not go back to our houses. No food, no farmer. Till all three... Laws will be taken back by the Modi government. Yeah. We are not going anywhere. They want the laws repealed in full. And they're saying they will settle for nothing less. They want the minimum basic prices for crops uh, written into law, which they are not currently. And that's it. I mean, that, that several rounds of negotiation with senior government officials have taken place. The farmers' demands have not changed. And so they, they, Indian farming simply cannot survive if these laws go through. Whatever our system is, it should stay. If that is broken, these private companies won't give us a good rate. They will do as they please. They'll enter into contracts with us and tell us, here's the rate, take it or leave it. This is like cutting off our hands. We are with our brothers and we will fight together. 
the girls, women, sisters and brothers. We will live and die with the farmers. Until these laws are taken back, we will not return home. The government, for its part, has offered to suspend the laws for 18 months pending further discussion. The farmers so far have rejected that offer. So this this law comes in, the farmers are, are clearly incensed. How does it escalate into a massive protest? Since the violence last week, that has been part of the allegation and counter-allegation around this. Modi himself has been publicly very conciliatory towards the farmers. Elements around his ruling party have suggested almost from the outset that there was a militant, even terrorist element to these protests. The most visible faces of the farmers' movement have been Sikh farmers from uh, Punjab, Haryana. There have been suggestions from the pro-government side that there was a Khalistani element, a militant terrorist element to these protests. The Khalistani movement are Sikh separatists. It was a cause which flared up in the 1980s, but Hugh says he's seen no evidence to back up the claims of the pro-government side. Many of the farmers protesting aren't Sikhs, and Indian newspapers have roundly debunked the allegations, instead finding an orchestrated fake news campaign aimed at undermining the farmers' cause. But... After more than two months of protesting day and night, some of the farmers' frustrations reached fever pitch last week. It was a peaceful protest up until Republic Day. Clearly, however, there are radical elements within the farmers' movement separate to the unions that have been leading the negotiations who have tired of the stalemate and appear to have decided that the sanctioned route for the tractor rally that was offered to them was not sufficient, that this was their opportunity to make a thrust into Delhi itself. The counter-accusations have gone back and forth since then. It's clear that both sides, to a degree, both on the police and farmer side, lost control of their movements, and the farmers will now have to try and restore public trust that this is and will remain a peaceful movement. That may be difficult to do. How popular are they with the public? How much support do they have? Up until Republic Day, I think they had uh, immense support. And farmers always do. One of the main protest slogans from the outset has been no farmers, no food. And it's been a recurring theme. I think farming is seen as the bedrock of the nation and and always has been, despite the drift of modernisation. And successive governments have also sought to protect them. They do have immense public sympathy. That has been lost to a degree. These things are hard to gauge, uh, but there's no, there's no doubt that the violent scenes and particularly the symbolism of storming the Red Fort has damaged the protest since Republic Day. Farm leaders have called off another protest plan for the reopening of Parliament, and they will now try and sort of restore the image of the protests as a peaceful movement. Before we get on to Republic Day and, and the, the, how it's all unravelled, I mean, just to tell us a bit about the, the problems within the world of farming as they are at the moment. Why are these reforms being called for? What's going wrong? Because it was really interesting that you mentioned a statistic about the number of people involved compared to the amount of GDP farming contributes. It doesn't seem very efficient. 
This issue is not unique to the Modi government. Successive governments have looked at the issue of Indian farming and balked at the sort of the political sacrifices that would be required to reform it. It's an almost unimaginable task now to reform Indian farming that would take generations. Indian farming has suffered generations of underinvestment despite the billions that have been subsidies pumped into the sector. India has sought to protect local um, producers by hampering foreign investment in uh, in farming. The debate in India is not unlike that in the UK about the impact of supermarkets and the, and the disappearance of local shops. Successive governments, Indian governments, largely blocked international supermarket chain access to the farming sector for years, and they've offered investment in infrastructure, irrigation, refrigerated transport and storage and so on. But the governments want to preserve local markets the trouble is those principles have not been matched by government investment. Uh, international chains, sort of foreign companies still handle almost none of India's perishable food. I mean, there are staggering statistics, but about 40% of India's fresh fruit and vegetables rots before it reaches consumers here. And this in a country where around half of India's children still suffer chronic malnutrition. So despite the scale of the sector, its impact has, has diminished and the scale of investment needed to turn it around increases generation upon generation. And tell me a bit about the messaging around the protests when they started, because there has been lots of accusations of fake news around it. How is it being portrayed in India? There's no doubt that this has been the greatest challenge that the the Modi government has faced. And there have been rounds of protests on, on various issues since I arrived in India. None has put this government on on the back foot like the farmers have up till now. The initial march on Delhi itself in November backfired for the government when clearly under instructions to keep them out of the city. Police turned water cannon on the protesters then. The sight of pictures of elderly Sikh men being drenched in water in sort of freezing temperatures did not look great. But then uh, the farmers certainly have held the moral high ground until the violence on Republic Day, which has certainly cost them. There have been attempts to smear the movement. There have been reports of fake news. There were minor luxuries that began to appear at the protest camps. Uh, the pictures of farmers getting massages portrayed in some, some of the pro-government press and so that these were somehow luxury camps that had sprung up around the city. The reality was far from the case. The dedication of the farmers and the dignity uh, of the, the peaceful movement they had kept up at this point had kept momentum on their side. As I say, it's a question of whether or not they can regain that momentum going forward. We'll have more on the protests and how they've been met around the world in just a moment. But to enjoy more in-depth reporting from Hugh and our other foreign correspondents, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Last Tuesday, India marked Republic Day. The Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, laid a wreath at the tomb of the fallen soldier. A parade showed off the country's military might and celebrated the provinces. And the farmers, who've been camping on the streets of Delhi, protesting for more than two months now, planned another demonstration. Armed with his dictaphone, Hugh recorded some of the sounds of the protest, but some of the things he saw was shocking. It was striking. I mean, at the point I reached the protest, the protest site, they'd climaxed near Delhi's historic Red Fort sort of earlier in the afternoon, and that had been sealed off because of the violence by police. I reached a site further south where protesters had breached police lines and crashed through barricades on the eastern side of the city. Several people had been injured, and I reached a, a spot where at least one person was killed and their body was lying in the street under an Indian tricolor. There was a priest leading prayers around the body, which swiftly turned to protests as police tried to move the protesters on, and the mood flared up again. There were tractors around with their tyres slashed. The protester who died, there were claims that he'd been shot by police. Those allegations were not confirmed. The police claimed his tractor overturned as he tried to ram through police barricades, and video that appeared online appeared to confirm that. But it was an extremely tense and moving scene. Delhi has seen a fair bit of violence in, in the last 12, 18 months. Religious riots in Delhi last year were more deadly than this, but the capital has not seen protests on this scale in a very long time. Was there violence on both sides? I mean, where is the blame being placed? From what I saw, from what I was told, and from TV pictures, there was clearly violence on both sides. Police have blamed protesters for initiating the violence. There were dramatic pictures of running battles outside Delhi's Red Fort, with police fleeing over barricades as protesters with batons of their own charged them. There was footage of farmers on tractors swerving at police lines but then there were sort of there were pictures of police baton charges on protesters police firing tear gas and water cannon the protests have highlighted the tension between india as the world's largest democracy and the desire of its strongman leader narendra modi to make sweeping changes unable to ban protests the government has instead dug up major roads and employed water cannon and tear gas in an attempt to stop them. Hugh spoke to one protester who blamed the police for blocking their route, despite giving the farmers permission to protest. We did not create any violence. We are going to the route which is given by the police authorities, but police will stop illegally in the way. And uh, doing asu gas, tear gas... 
How much damage was done at the end? Do we know about injuries? There have been claims, several hundred policemen injured, more than 400. Injuries on the farmer's side, um, still unclear. As I say, at least one farmer killed. There was some damage to vehicles and property. The damage really has been done to the state of trust between the two sides. Negotiations now have ground to a halt. The government has used the violence as a pretext to clamp down upon the protests. At the Singu crossing in the outskirts of India's capital, New Delhi, protesting farmers face off against groups of men who are shouting slogans against them. There was an attack on one of the farmers' camps over the weekend by people claiming to be local villagers, appear to be sort of a pro-government mob. The water supplies to the camps have been sort of switched on and off, and mobile internet services to the camps have been cut as well over the weekend, remain cut now as we speak. The violence has given a pretext for the government to clamp down on the movement, and we'll see where it goes next. After the internet was cut around the protesters' camps, a number of journalists who were covering the protests were suddenly arrested. Human Rights Watch say democratic debate is being stifled, and celebrities like Rihanna and Greta Thunberg have tweeted their support for the farmers. Protests have been held around the world in support of their cause, including here in Britain. Testing for the Kisan, the farmers in India. The government passed three bills and we want them to take it back because they're exploiting agriculture. There have also been protests among the Indian diaspora in America. The protests have prompted questions in the House of Commons. Mr Speaker, more than 100 honourable members of this House signed a cross-party letter to the Prime Minister about our anxieties for the peacefully protesting farmers in India. And this intervention from the Canadian Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. I would be remiss if I didn't start also by recognising the news coming out of India uh, about the protests by farmers. Uh, The situation is concerning and uh, we're all very worried about family and friends. I know that's the reality for many of you. Let me remind you, Canada will always be there to defend the right of peaceful protest. But what next for the protesters? For now, certainly, the the farmers have returned to their camps. They've sought to restore calm. Another march on Delhi that was planned for this week has been called off. And I think they will try and circle the wagons again. Certainly, Delhi police have taken no chances. There are sort of more barricades now on the edge of the city. Farmers want protesters who were arrested in the wake of the violence on Republic Day to be released before they resume negotiations. There is a question, I suppose, about whether this is just becoming an embarrassment now for both sides, whether this stalemate is is sustainable. I think the farmers probably recognise that this might be their only chance. Thousands more farmers arrived in reinforcement over the course of the weekend, swelling some of those camps around the city. I'm not sure they could mobilise another movement like this again. And what does it tell us about Modi and his, his form of government? Modi sort of, from the outset, has ruled almost by decree. He has a huge majority in Parliament, so he didn't need to negotiate to get these laws through. What's striking is that these laws were passed without consultation with farmers, which has fueled allegations that these laws are being ultimately designed to serve 
friends in major industrialists who are seeking controlling stakes in Indian agriculture. Modi was elected promising to, to deliver 20 million jobs a year to India, in fact, for demonetization and, and other initiatives um, seeing the country hemorrhage jobs in that time. Arguably, the Indian economy had barely recovered from demonetization before coronavirus struck, and we were plunged into another economic crisis last year. Likewise, Modi announced India's national lockdown four hours' notice, which again, threw the nation into turmoil. And yet Modi has never sort of conceded any fault with sort of demonetization or with the lockdown strategy. He's, he's a man who sort of uh, rarely concedes that he might have been wrong. So what does that tell us about how he might handle this going ahead? I mean, is there any chance that he would repeal a law that had become such a, a big public debate? It seems inconceivable that he would take the sort of public relations humiliation of repealing these laws. Senior government officials, including senior cabinet ministers, have led negotiations with the farmers, which is an indication that this is about as conciliatory as the Modi government gets. It underscores that the government has taken these protests very seriously. They have been taken aback by the scale of the challenge, the scale of the movement, and the persistence of the farmers. But as I said, Modi is still adamant about the success of demonetization and the COVID lockdown, despite the evidence to the contrary. There's no indication that he would go so far as to repeal these laws. A suspension, which is currently on offer, pending sort of further discussion and perhaps some renegotiation or reform, one suspects is the best that the farmers can hope for. That said, if the farmers persist, it's hard to see how long they can they can hold out. But the government did not expect them to uh, to hold out this long. The scale of the protests is huge and everything we're seeing on the news and social media looks epic. But is there some familiarity about some of these issues? Are the problems that the farmers in India are encountering quite similar to what we've seen here in Europe? There are certainly similarities in, in terms of the sustainability, the long-term sustainability of farming. The debate about the long-term sustainability of the farming is is not dissimilar to that in the UK and in Europe. And likewise, a fear of the long-term impact of supermarkets, despite the investment they might offer to to the sector. There's a a mistrust because of the scale of the Indian farming market, just in terms of employment. There's a debate about protectionism versus foreign investment. Foreign companies certainly offer investment that the government has failed to match. But there's a fear of what the long-term impact of, of that might be and if that might eradicate local farmers I mean, from, from field to marketplace, might sort of eradicate whole swathes of, of the job market, which, as I said, no government can sustain in the short term. But in the meantime, Indian farming slips deeper into crisis. The level of subsidy required continues to rise and the sustainability of, of the sector slips further into question. Is there something about the you know, the scale of the protests themselves. Is this sort of a mark of Indian democracy, I suppose? It does have echoes of Gandhi and marches. Yes, absolutely. And the farmers are are well aware of that. There's immense resonance to the sight of huge columns of tractors ploughing across the country to march on the nation's capital in in support of fellow workers. Those that couldn't reach Delhi itself have held protests in, in and around other cities. And there have been protests back in the fields because, of course, despite the tens of thousands massed outside the capital, there are millions still at work to keep the sector running. There's a power and a poetry to it that um, farmers are are very conscious of. There's an understanding that farmers still play a vital role in in Indian life. And 
that despite the enthusiasm of governments to sort of uh, establish India as a, as a sort of tech power, a military power, an industrial power, farmers still feed the nation and this emerging superpower cannot survive without them. been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times South Asia correspondent, Hugh Tomlinson. You can read more of Hugh's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by Carla Patella. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, any ideas for future episodes, or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us an email to stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. See you tomorrow. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.